Charlie. I'm Joseph. And I'm Spencer. And welcome back to The Church Closet. This week, we are talking about our best coming out stories and our worst coming out stories. Spencer, you want to go first? I'd love to go first. So I wouldn't uh, necessarily say I have best or worst coming out stories. I've had a couple of stories where I've had to clarify to people, you know, maybe I was joking around, but I'm not actually gay. But I think I'll leave this one to the experts. (laughs) I think that's us. Yeah, that's you. Oh, that's weird. My best coming out story happened when I was 18. Um, That actually was the first time I did come out. Now, the story I am going to keep as not explicit as it could be, just so it's podcast approved. So to set the scene, I was in second period English class in my high school senior year. And these two guys, um, who happen to be baseball players, also two of my bullies, did not, you know, really care about feelings or whatnot. And they were talking about shoving baseball bats where they should not go. And I'm just reading my book, minding my own business. As soon as they said that, I looked up at them going, what the crap? And they looked at me and like, you would like that, Joseph, wouldn't you? And I looked at them and I said, well, I am by so. And when I tell you that that entire classroom which had been abuzz with conversation and other things, went pin-dropped quiet. I mean it. If they had the cartoon face of the jaw that went literally to the ground, that would be them. My English teacher, she was grading papers, and she stopped her grading, looked up at me, saw the two baseball players' faces, looked back at me and gave me a thumbs up, because I had finally shut them up. Of course, in that period of class, I had cheerleaders, football players, band, drama, baseball, obviously. Almost every category of high schooler was in that class. So while it was very fun, (laughs) that rumor, that truth, (laughs) spread throughout the entire school. And by seventh period, I was already being asked about it again. So... It was very fun to see their faces, and they never really talked to me after that again, and I counted it as a blessing. What parts of that would you say were good, and are there parts of it that you would change now? Because that was before you became a Christian. Um, So how does that play out for you? Yeah, it was good because I finally was, quote-unquote, living my truth. Ow. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it felt good because I was finally able to shut up the bullies because they kept going and going again. I did that multiple times. We had a thing where if you could use one of the vocab words in a sentence, then you get extra points. I kept doing that and I kept getting extra points because I kept doing that to them. And so this was just another day of that. It just was the perfect time to say that. (laughs) Um... If there was something for me to change about it, it would be that, which I couldn't change, period, but not all of those groups of people would be there. Mm -hmm. Um, Because while that moment itself was a good coming out story, it turned into a nightmare. Because, like I said, by the time seventh period came around, I was in my seventh period math class. And one of the band trumpet players came in and just yelled across the room, Joseph, are you gay? I love the 
it was bridge math. So I love the math teacher. And he was like, he doesn't have to answer that. You know, that is his own personal business. And you do not need to say that whatsoever. So sit down, do your work. I looked at him and went, thank you, but I can answer. (laughs) You know, because I had just come out that morning. And it's now like two o'clock in the afternoon. So why not? Um, So I answered truthfully. I went, yeah. And they went, okay. And then we had a discussion about what it is and whatever. That wasn't the nightmare. The nightmare was some of my Christian friends that found out. Some of them were loving. And when I told them, they said, I don't necessarily agree with the lifestyle, but I love you to still be your friend. And that doesn't change our friendship. And I appreciated them so much because I can take you not agreeing with what I all I do. Because if you did, that wasn't a true friendship. I wish more people would take that stance too because we don't always have to agree with everybody for every single thing. It's okay. It was the other people. The ones that came up to me in a hallway and said, well, I thought you were this way. Because, you know, like I said during the uh, suicide episode, I played the Christian part pretty well. Like, I thought you were a Christian. But since you're living in this lifestyle, you're going to hell. I haven't talked to those people in a while. I graduated high school almost six years ago now. I haven't talked to them since then. So that became a nightmare because that coming out story was more not just one specific story. It was multiple in one day. So I went from only one or two people knowing to about 900 real quick. Um, and I think that's one of our differences, Charlie, is you've kept it more to yourself and to a specific few, whereas from the moment I came out, I was close to a thousand already. Um, so that's, that's a uh, high school for you, I guess. I think kind of losing control of it like that, obviously, like you might've, you, you might've known, like there's a certain, um, certain triumphant quality to your coming out story there. Yeah, and like going back to the second period class, when the cheerleaders mm-hmm. looked at me, and because like I'm used, like I said, I'm used to like shutting them up with like different vocab words and whatnot because they didn't know the meanings, even though we just went over it. Um, so I felt very high and mighty because of that, and it made me feel so good every day. Um, but when the cheerleaders, knowing this, looked at me, it's like, is that true? And I had the opportunity to go back on it. Mm-hmm. And say, no, I just wanted to shut them up or say what I was at mm-hmm. that time. And I chose to say what I was. So it was freeing. And when I confirmed that, I looked around the room. Some people were already on their phones, which for those that don't know, I went to public school. I don't remember um, Charlie and Spencer's background, but went to public school here <laughs> through and through. So some of them, the cheerleader especially, looked at me and went, well, I'm glad that you finally told the truth to yourself and us. Um, She didn't use the word finally, but that I was willing to share that with them. And that made me feel valid, whereas some others made me feel rejected and not wanting to go to the church anymore. I think as Christians, we can get maybe a little beyond ourselves and our circle. I I could imagine myself in that situation in high school. And I probably wouldn't have had a great reaction, but that's just because, you know, I, I was young and a little bit confused. 
But I don't remember, you know, going out of my way to tell people they were wrong about things. If it's someone you're close to and you have a good uh, relationship with them, good enough, doesn't have to be incredibly close, but good enough that they can take criticism from you. If you wouldn't normally criticize someone, then to go out of your way and just criticize them uh, when you don't really have a relationship with them otherwise is unlikely to do anything. So even if it's the truth, and oftentimes it could be the truth, uh, you could even express it really well. If you don't know someone, either you know in a mentoring relationship, as a friend, um, a coworker, someone who has a you know a, a strong enough relationship for it to mean something, um, oftentimes it's better to work on that first. If you want to um, express you know disagreement with how somebody lives or the choices somebody makes about anything. Uh, it has to come from a position where they can tell it's meaningful. And I don't know about you, but I don't really take meaningful advice from people who aren't already in my life or I don't already hold in high esteem. So keep track of your relationship to people when you're giving them advice, not just on, you know, sexuality, but anything. Exactly. My ability and opportunities to come out have varied and changed over the years. Because in high school, I didn't mention it to anyone. Uh, None of my parents, none of my siblings, none of my classmates, none of my teachers. I basically just kept my desire to stare at guys to myself and sort of hoped that it would get under control. Then when I went to college, I started opening up very, very gradually. Uh, This was several years ago. And sexuality wasn't talked about frequently. Um, Anything LGBT wasn't talked about frequently. And if it came up, it was from the church academic standpoint of, it's wrong, so don't do it. Okay, it's wrong, so I won't do it. And very black and white. And not practically informative. There wasn't a, and if you struggle with this, this is how we can love you. This is how we can help you. This is how we can help you follow God. So I think initially um, I was in a class that had a student mentor. I was attending a Christian college and part of this class involved writing your testimony. And in just one sentence, I slipped in that I struggled with same-sex attraction. I might have used the word gay. I honestly don't remember. I do remember that several years later when I looked back on this paper I cringed a lot at my, not just at that part, the entire thing. Oh, it was a painful read. Um, but that's, that's beside the point. I just slipped it in and then never heard anything else about it from either the mentor who was helping with the class or the teacher that was supervising him. And it was just a stay under the radar type situation. On the one hand, it was me being very, very subtle, way more subtle and honestly a bit pretentious about it than I should have been. But that was what I knew at the time to try to get help. And there wasn't follow up. Um, In an ideal world, I would have said, and I would like help with this and I need help with this. But I didn't. And there wasn't follow up. Um, The next was just talking to a friend over Facebook and uh, she and I had been talking over the course of that semester. Not not anything romantic. We had just been hanging out as friends. We shared a friend group. Um, 
and it was like, and I'm not sure who all to tell or, but this is going on. She's like, yeah, you definitely need to be careful about who you tell. And then she and I never talked about it ever again, which was already discouraging. Uh, and then she started calling me gay in front of our mutual friends. So there was just so much wrong with it. I wasn't ready to be out. I wouldn't have identified myself as gay or at least I was struggling to figure out what gay did and didn't mean. I was very grateful that the next semester, almost all of them had transferred out. Within a year, everybody that she had called me gay in front of was no longer at the school. That's not good for an admission standpoint, but it was great for me. Because <laughs> that's not something you do. You don't out people. If they need help, you help them find help. You don't help them by telling people on other people's behalf. And it, it hurts. Uh, it doesn't hurt as much now as it used to. I'm surrounded by enough friends and family who know about me and who love me and who encourage me in my relationship with God that the damage done by one person isn't as significant anymore. But when she was the first person that I deliberately chose to tell... That hurts. That made me stay quieter for longer. Um, and it gave me examples of people not to trust. Um, I was able to talk to a couple friends during my time at college. Who, I one in particular, he and I both tried to help each other stay accountable. But we didn't understand accountability all that well. But I at least had a friend who loved me and who I could talk to about it just, just a little bit as much as he knew how to um, and as much as I knew how to because neither of us was well versed on the subject of same-sex attraction. And it wasn't actually until uh, me and my girlfriend broke up just after I graduated. Um, I had told her like a week before that I dealt with same-sex attraction. That was part of why she didn't feel like I was sexually pursuing her. And it really helps people not have as many boundaries when they don't think you're trying to have sex with them, um, which can be a huge blessing in so many of my male-female relationships because they don't have to keep pushing me away because I'm not looking for something that they don't want to give. They, I'm not looking for something that they can't give or shouldn't give. And that wasn't why she broke up with me. I think it played some parts like wondering if I actually wanted to be with her. Um, not knowing what it would look like if we had kept dating. But there were other more significant reasons why she broke up with me. And it felt like I was losing my chance at love. To have someone that I enjoyed dating. That I enjoyed holding hands with. It was partially an experience of realizing I could be more attracted than I thought I would be, um, and I could be happier than I thought I would be in a dating relationship, because I wasn't actively looking for a relationship when I found her, but I found her, and she found me, and for a while it was good. Um, but in, in the heartbreak of that, I ended up talking to my church about it. Um, which it's a house church. There were only like probably between 12 and 16 people there between the church leaders and some people closer to my age. Um, 
And they were my first example of, okay, we love you. How can we help you? Because I broached the subject with, I'm trying to follow God. I, I knew enough about same-sex attraction and God's design for marriage that I was pursuing God's design for marriage, one man and one woman, or I was going to be single. Um, so they didn't have to approach it from a, you are theologically wrong and you're probably condemned to hell because of this. Um, it was a, how can we help you? We don't have experience here, but we see God working in your life. We love you. We care about you. What do you need? Um, and one of the main things they did was that they prayed for me the next couple of months in preparation for me telling my parents, um, because I hadn't told them up until that point. I think I've mentioned before, I I have seven siblings. Um, and with my family, there's an unspoken thing that I've started speaking out loud because it makes sense that I can tell my parents anything. Me and my siblings can tell our parents anything, but we shouldn't tell them everything. When you have eight kids, hearing every detail of every single one of their lives is a lot. It's overwhelming. It's too much information to keep track of. Um, but they wanted to be there for the things that were important. And including that now that we're all moved out, they enjoy opportunities to spend time with us. Uh, we are very much a quality time family where we love the board games we get to play together, the stories we get to tell each other. Um, it's becoming a trend where I call home and I end up on speakerphone talking anywhere from one parent to both of them to two or three siblings at once. I think it's the record with that in mind, I'm able to tell them anything, but I shouldn't tell them everything. I always, I always opted to tell them less than I needed to. So I didn't risk being a burden. But the reality is that this was a bigger problem than I could handle by myself. And I needed to risk being a burden in order to be known. Um, it also felt like it was giving my parents an opportunity to react badly. And when I had a good, because I had a good relationship with them, I didn't want to risk ruining it. I didn't want to risk hurting it. It felt safer to not tell them. Um, they're both Christians. They both believe that marriage is supposed to be between one man and one woman. And I'm not naturally drawn that way. But when I made the time to go and talk to them, I was an emotional wreck. Their door was very terrifying when I had to knock on it. There's a lot of that conversation that I don't remember. It was very stressful and memories work very poorly when they're stressed out. But I remember they said that they loved me. I remember they asked what that meant practically, emotionally. Um, and from there, we also had conversations about what do I need. They offered me the chance to get therapy. And they were okay when I said that it isn't what I wanted. Because at the time, I don't think that's what I needed. Um... And they were both willing to offer something that I might need. And they were willing to listen and respect my decision when I said I didn't need it or didn't want it. They hugged me 
and they said they loved me. And what that meant was that the people who I was most afraid wouldn't love me anymore chose to love me in light of my sin. Um, and it struck me a lot harder a couple months down the road how much of the gospel that they had given me in that interaction. Because in telling people the reason why I was most afraid that they wouldn't love me, it meant more to me that they chose to love me. The love they had for me became realized because they loved me when it wasn't easy. And that is what I want for you. It's what I want for my friends. Is I want you to have a relationship where you experience love that continues and grows when you are afraid it wouldn't. Because in that moment, they were like God to me. Not all-powerful, not almighty, but loving me when I was afraid, they wouldn't. Forgiving me when I was afraid, they wouldn't. Ready to hear about my sin, ready to love me through my sin, not ready to condemn me for my sin. And after knowing that my parents would love and support me, it became easier to talk about my struggles with sexuality with others. When you have people who will love you no matter what, it becomes safer to talk about things with people who may or may not love you no matter what. And that meant when I was working for a Christian school, um, I got to lead a mission trip. And there was a night that I felt like I should give the gospel and not just the Jesus loves you and died on the cross for your sins, but giving the gospel as I had experienced it which was through my parents, which was through my struggle with same-sex attraction, which was God loving me and forgiving me and his death on the cross paying for my sin. And that meant coming out to a group of eight students without much planning for it ahead of time. And then I watched that change so much in the group because my students realized that I trusted them. I also told the school worker who had put me in charge of the mission trip because it was important to not tell the students something that I wouldn't also tell the people who trusted me to be over the students. And it became something that deepened our relationships, gave encouragement to the members of the team, but it also just drew us closer together because we could talk more about anything including the next day we started being able to make jokes, not at my expense, but where I actually felt comfortable. And for the first time realized that this thing that I had been keeping secret for so long that had hurt me so much could not just be something that I experienced forgiveness through, but could also laugh at. Um, Cause for one thing I get to laugh at Satan when he says that if they knew you, they wouldn't love you. They've known me. They have loved me. God has known me and God has loved me. But then also, it can't, life and circumstances and struggle can be funny. And the first joke was just a basic, for some reason, uh, well, a couple of my kids broke up a robbery. That was, that was a very interesting part of the mission trip. <laughs> and I had a meeting with the two student leaders about that. And one of the, one of the kids was scared about my reaction. So he said, so what was so private that I couldn't, that you couldn't talk to, 
talk about it without us there. And I looked at him, made eye contact and said, I'm gay. <laughs> and for some reason, first of all, the kid laughed and said, that's racist. <laughs> and just to continue the joke, that's for the record, that's not actually racist. And a third guy in the room <laughs> spoke up and said, gay isn't a race. And I looked at him and said, it is if two people like the same guy. <laughs> Um, so one bad experience led me to not talking about it for a while. And then good experiences led to more good experiences, which led to more positive experiences. And it gave room for God to work through my story as I learned to talk about it. Um, I've learned how to give the gospel presentation based off of my life experience and sometimes that means telling people that I struggle with same-sex attraction. And sometimes it means not blatantly stating the sin that I struggle with because we all struggle with sin. And we all struggle with the fear that we won't be loved, that we will be alone, that we will be condemned. And that's where we're going to have to cut it off for this episode. Hi, this is Spencer in the editing room. When you get Joseph and Charlie talking about coming out stories, um, it's really hard to get them to stop talking. We had so much content for this episode, we decided to cut it up into two episodes. So, that's right. This is a uh, coming out extravaganza. Uh, so, in two weeks from now, we'll be publishing the second half of this episode. Um, and you're going to be able to hear more stories and more takeaways um, from the coming out experiences of Charlie and Joseph. I hope to see you then.